I'm still mad at the NFL. They really boogered this thing up about six years ago. Someone got the bright idea to put the Pro Bowl the weekend before the Super Bowl. And I'm pretty sure I'm just going to blame Taylor Swift. She probably had nothing to do with that decision, but I'm going to blame her anyways because she needs a little more publicity. And the, the reason I say that is the, the Super Bowl used to be my birthday party every year. And it was, or it was really close to it every year where I knew, hey, my birthday, I don't have to worry about whether they're going to have a party for me or not because the Super Bowl party is going to be there. It was a win-win. Nobody throws a Pro Bowl party because nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. They don't even have all of the best talent there because they don't let the Super Bowl guys come and play. So, you know, Taylor Swift is not going to the Pro Bowl. So maybe her and <clears throat> Travis Kelsey will get it figured out and decide that they need to petition the NFL because all of the NFL's decisions run through Taylor Swift to move the Super Bowl back to the weekend it should be. That was completely free, has nothing to do with the message this morning. But <clears throat> the, the message this morning and... And I almost feel guilty about it, but I don't because when, when God tells you to do it, you just do it. I had thought we were going to go just breaking down little bits of Joshua at a time. And instead, God said, you know, it's around the Super Bowl. People understand the blimp. Let's give the book of Joshua from a 10,000 foot view like you would have in the blimp. And... To, to break that down, we simply title this Lessons from Conquest, the 10,000-foot view of the book of Joshua. Now, I'm really grateful that God didn't ask me to try and go up 10,000 feet and read the book of Joshua from there because uh, I'm not quite to needing magnification yet, but as we get older, that might happen. But for now, <clears throat> we'll move on and and... Anytime you look at something from a wide-angle view, you have to ask questions. Uh, I blame Miss Armour for this, that she instilled in me as an English student to ask questions. And I'm getting head shakes from people in the room that remember asking questions. Anytime you read something, you should be asking questions. And, and to be fair, anytime you study the Word of God for yourself, it's okay to ask questions. And the, the questions we're going to ask are why, how, what, and when. And going through the book of Joshua, these are a lot of fun. So let's go into it. The, the first question that I had, and this sounds really bad, but why this piece of dirt? Why, why is this territory that Joshua is going into the promised land? Had you ever thought about it? And I'm a geography teacher, so it, it's one of those questions that I really have. Why would you want that particular piece of land? And, and why did God choose that particular piece of land? And, and we'll look on a map here. If you look on a map, and this is a modern-day satellite imagery, which is, I'm, I can't really zoom in. 
this morning, but if you could zoom in, in the middle of all that desert, there's this one little green strip of land that is Israel, which is helping fulfill prophecy that will later be written. We're in Joshua. We don't have it yet, but that I'll make the desert bloom like a rose. And if you look on a satellite imagery view, Israel is the one little green strip of land in the middle of the desert. All of their Arab neighbors, they, I don't know if they feed their cows oil or camels oil or what. They don't have anything but oil. Oil, dirt, and rock. They're, but Israel blooms like a rose. It's the number one uh, fresh flower producer in all the world. They produce and export more olives and dates than any other country in the world. And we could go on talking about their crops and, you know, I'm not even getting into wheat and other crops that are consumables that are just in that tiny little strip of land. But in the ancient world, if you look up to your right, uh, Assyria, Persia, Babylon, those are the ancient kingdoms. And the other major ancient kingdom and empire was Egypt. And right there in the pathway that you travel between them, because you're not going to go across all of that horrible desert to get there. You're going to take routes that bring you closer to water and better land. Right in the crossroads of the ancient world is Israel. Canaan, we're, we're not calling it Israel. We're calling it Canaan because it's the land that has to be conquered, was the crossroads of the ancient world. And the angel of the Lord called Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and, your and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The other reason that God chose to put the promised land in the crossroads of the ancient world is through you all kingdoms of the world will be blessed. Now, how does that apply to us? Have you ever, have you ever sat there and thought about, you know, we, we talked about, it's easy to see in our world that we're a lot like the children of Israel wandering the desert, but that's really not where God wants you to be. God wants you to be conquering the promised land and building the kingdom. And if you have that mindset, you're, you're going to have to start asking some other questions. And, and, and the second question is how? How? How do we conquer? How is Joshua going to conquer the promised land? And interesting thing is you don't see during their wandering in the wilderness, anywhere in scripture, I don't see them training for war in the wilderness. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just not recorded in scripture. It doesn't say in Deuteronomy 6 that we're going to go out and work on tactical military maneuvers today. It doesn't say in Deuteronomy 19 that we're going to go out and shoot arrows today to hone our shooting skills. Doesn't talk about chariot driving practice. It doesn't talk about 
any of these things that would be needed to go conquer Canaan. So we don't find a highly trained fighting force. How are they going to go conquer? It's really interesting what God says to Abraham. Because you have obeyed my voice. How are all these things going to happen in your life? Because you obeyed my voice. How are we able to conquer the kingdom of this world? By obeying the voice of God. How are we able to speak into somebody's life at just the right moment when God is working on their heart to reach them for the gospel? We have to obey His voice. Joshua chapter 6 and and this is at the end of when they they conquer that first big hurdle Jericho and if you paid attention when you read through the story of Jericho how did they do that fighting we we don't get the details of the actual fighting they do go in and use swords but let me tell you exactly how difficult it is to use a sword in combat. Make sure you have it by the handle end and point the pointy end hitting the enemy. Doesn't take a lot of training to fight with a sword. Matter of fact, any three-year-old can probably do it if they can pick the sword up. If, if not, you've never sword fought with a three-year-old and suffered the injuries I have. Because... I have many, many that were three-year-olds that plastic lightsabers hurt. They really do. I, I got really good at like fencing to where I stayed a long way away and would disarm them because if you get in close, you're done. But just after that battle or just before the conquest actually happens, Joshua is speaking on behalf of the Lord and he gives this command. He says, but keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Whew. Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. That, that'll preach a message by itself. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted in a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. A word of warning that comes to us from the book of Joshua. Partial disobedience is disobedience. That, that's, that's pretty harsh. But in the very next chapter of Joshua, we get the story of I. Some people pronounce it A-I, but I, I looked it up so that I would know it's I. And if you want to you know, put an accent on it, I... You know, but in, in I, this gentleman named Achan did exactly what they were warned not to do. He took part of the things that were devoted to destruction and he kept them. So when it came time to go conquer I, which was no Jericho, 
they sent a smaller force because they didn't need to send a bunch of people. And the people of Ai easily repelled this force and killed a lot of the fighting men of Israel because there was partial disobedience in the camp. In Joshua 7, 1, it says, but the people of Israel... Notice it, it didn't just blame Achan. It says the people. You know how quickly the church gets judged by the actions of one person? The, this is a reality that we see in Joshua. If you say you're a member of this church and then you go out and you know, get in a drunken bar fight... The first thing they're going to say is, well, he goes to such and such church. And then people are going to judge us all as drunken brawlers. I wouldn't fight with Scott. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, it's not fair, but it's the reality. And it's the reality of Scripture that all of Israel came under judgment because God was letting us know that if you're going to be the people that carry His name, you have to carry His name in complete obedience to Him. They broke faith in regard to devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So, right here, you know, it was a shame on you, your dad your granddad, your great-granddad, your whole tribe. Ouch. Man, that makes you rethink your actions. If it's going to bring shame on yourself, your dad, your grandpa, your great-grandpa, and your entire clan throughout history. But God understood because he sees outside of time. He understands that that's how people will judge. I mean... It, Look at what we do now. We swab our cheek and send it in so we can find out if we're related to some scoundrel. You know? Man, swab your cheek. You're related to Pocahontas. Woo! Or you're related to Billy the Kid. You're a scumbag horse thief. I mean, that's the life we live. But it doesn't get any different in the New Testament because James tells us, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you're going to go and be a conqueror, if you're going to help build the kingdom of God, you have to do it in complete obedience. But God, I don't want to talk to so-and-so because it makes me uncomfortable. Nobody cares what you're comfortable with. I'm telling you, read the book of Acts. Those people were never fully comfortable. And we'll talk more about them here in a little bit. But you keep going in Joshua. If you have Joshua there and you're flipping through it, uh, this is somewhere around... Uh, we'll get the Scripture in just a second. But there's a lot of people that weren't conquered in the book of Joshua. Joshua lists out all these people that have yet to be conquered, and God just tells them, don't worry about them, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll keep working through my people to bring those people to destruction. It is a paraphrased way of saying what God says to him. Because Joshua was old and advanced in years. It's hard to talk about that stuff on your birthday. I'm not old. I'm not advanced in years. But those days are coming. 
And the Lord said to him, get this, Joshua was old and advanced in years. Joshua knew this because he wrote this. And the Lord said to him, you are old. Man, I love how God just tells it like it is. And advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. I want you to understand God knows exactly how much you have left undone in your life. You don't have to stress about that. God knows. All the regions of the Philistines, all those of the Jeshusites from Shehor, which is east of Egypt, the northward boundary of Ekron, as it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines who have Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. Those of the Avim, those in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, to the land of the Gebelites, and all of Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal God below Mount Hermon to Lebanath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mizrephoth, Maim, to all the Sidonians, I will drive them out myself before the people of Israel. Only allot the land of Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Joshua, all this other stuff is not getting done until I do it. But here's one more job for you. So I want you to start writing that on your heart that, that yes, it feels like there may be a lot of stuff undone for you in sharing of the faith, in, in sharing and ministering to your family. There may be a lot of stuff you feel like is undone, but you need to listen to God for what he's telling you is that one more thing I have for you. I have that one more thing for you. But God, it's been a long day, but I have that one more thing for you. God commands Joshua to give an allotment to each tribe. And you can go through the next like eight chapters of Joshua and it spells out who gets what inheritance and what allotment. And, and what God spoke to me is you can condense that huge chunk of stuff unless people are just really interested in geography to some very simple things. Everyone was needed and everyone mattered. Every person that you meet on the street is a potential impactful member of the kingdom of heaven when they get the most important thing. When they understand who Jesus is and they accept him as their Lord and Savior, all bets are off to how the kingdom can grow through them. You cannot look at somebody and say, God, I can't reach them for the kingdom. You can't. Because... God was very clear, and he says it over and over again in Scripture, that the whole earth is mine and everyone that's in it. And the war that we fight every day, the war that Christians are called to fight is for the souls of brothers and sisters that haven't found their way into the kingdom. And this brings me to the lesson of Dan. That this was one of those things that was kind of hidden in there, and I didn't really realize it till I did some of the geography work. And Dan, this is originally the land that was allotted to Dan, right there next to Benjamin, right above Judah. 
and the it's a really good piece of land geographically speaking it's good farmland it's a good it has proximity to the sea it is a very good piece of inheritance where Dan could have been wealthy and prosperous and been very beneficial to the other tribes of Israel. The problem is Dan saw who the neighbors were. The neighbors, which you can't see it really well on here, but right there next to Judah, you don't see Dan there anymore, do you? Because the neighbors were the Philistines. And the people of Dan said, we, we don't think we can conquer the Philistines. We don't think that we're, we, we don't like the seafaring people. We're not seafaring people. That was the excuse. We're, we, we don't want the sea. So God showed them mercy and allowed them to go be in less good ground and put them on the northern border of the kingdom. They're still going to have to fight. They're just not going to have to fight the Philistines. And, and again, God showed that Judah would be the protector of Israel. Judah would have protected Dan. But Dan chose the easier path. They didn't get kicked out but they didn't get the inheritance that was promised to them either. <clears throat> Joshua continues near the end of his life. He's speaking to the people. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. When do we stop? Part of the reason that Dan went up there is I think deep down Dan knew they couldn't resist the gods of the Philistines. They were too appealing. But the next question for us is when do we stop? When do we stop actively working for the kingdom? And we all know the answer. We're still asking the question. When do we stop working for the kingdom of heaven? Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, the Kenizzite, sorry, dyslexia, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke the word to Moses, 
while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now give me this hill country that the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. 85. And he's saying, give me that mountain because there's giants. If that doesn't pump you up a little bit, at 85, give me the land of giants with fortified cities because age is only a number in the kingdom. Paul writes to that early church in Romans. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also <clears throat> with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are, guarded, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Age doesn't matter. Your circumstance doesn't deter or disqualify you from being a conqueror for the kingdom. And everybody matters. You have people, we talked about it in Sunday school, you have people you can speak things into your, their life because of your position. Because you've lived a long life, you've had experience that they haven't walked through yet, you can speak to where they are now and where they're headed. The things we have to understand looking at the questions, the promised land is here. It's not heaven. The trouble with the church is sometimes we get so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. We want to go to heaven and that's all we make Christianity about is going to heaven and that's not it. Christianity is about a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth that was afforded to us through the death of his son on the cross. That's what Christianity is. It's a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about heaven. Heaven is the final reward. It's not the promised land. Heaven is the rest from conquering the promised land. This is the promised land. The, if you go back to Isaiah, when he sees God and he hears the seraphim chanting, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Some of us think we're not going to be able to see the glory of God until we get to heaven. That's garbage. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you want to see God's glory, you watch the change in a life when they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you tell me that's not glory. The second thing is we conquer through obedience. When you don't know how to deal with somebody or how to speak to somebody about the kingdom of God, just simply be obedient to God. He says you don't have to be afraid of what you're going to say when you stand before princes and rulers of the earth. If he's going to give you words to say to princes and rulers of the earth, I'm pretty sure he's going to have the words for you to say to the jerk at the office. That's reality. There's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be more to do and there is something for everyone to do. Your life is put at the crossroads between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. You're put there to be a blessing to all nations. Start thinking about the people you interact with every day as the nations of the world you're called to be a blessing to. And I promise you, your attitude toward them will change. And finally, we don't age out. We just keep getting better for the kingdom. There's no retirement in the kingdom of heaven. There's no retirement from the army of the Lord. You just keep getting better. I'm telling you, every time Dale gets up here to sing, he just keeps getting better. And he, he laughs at that, but he does. Every time I sit in Sunday school, it just keeps getting better because everyone there just keeps getting better. How different does the world look if we as Christians start to believe that God is equipping us to just get better as we build his kingdom? Are you going to get it right all the time? No, but that's how you learn. You don't become a great free throw shooter by making one free throw and declaring yourself great. So this morning, are you a conqueror? That, that doesn't mean everything in life's going to go great. Joshua made a statement when he told all those people, choose this day who you'll serve. It was at the end of his life. It wasn't the beginning of his ministry. Anybody ever thought of Joshua as a ministry of warfare? First minister of defense? I mean, all kinds of fun things you can throw at Joshua. But at the end of his life is when he's telling everyone, you have to make a choice. You choose this day who you'll serve. Whether it's going to be the gods that your father served in Egypt, or if it's going to be the gods of all these heathen people that surround you. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. You get to make that declaration because in the New Testament, Paul writes us and he says, do you not know that your body is the temple or the house of the Holy Spirit? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
when you make that declaration and you go out there believing in all these things, you're more than a conqueror. Is there anyone you can't share the gospel with? But I might get beat up. You'll be in good company. At least it's not the, the streets of Istanbul where you share the gospel, they'll cut your head off. But even then, you still win. You got to preach the gospel. So, this morning, take the lessons of conquest and apply them to your life. And go be conquerors.